When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello movie viewers and movie lovers, my name is Tim Williams and I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. We talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which flick we choose for each episode, we'll have a lot of fun sharing our memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. The Goonies, Stand By Me, Ghostbusters, The Little Rascals, and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, yeah, they all share some shred of creative DNA with this bona fide 80s cult classic. So as we kickstart this year's spooky Halloween season, sharpen those wooden stakes you made in shop class, hide the silver bullets in your half-empty pack of cigarettes, and prepare to bop to your drop as guest co-host Jerry D and I discuss The Monster Squad from 1987 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. So glad to have you on this episode. So excited to have the creator and host of the Totally Rad Christmas Podcast, or this Halloween episode. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Mr. Jerry D. How you doing, Jerry? I'm doing great. Uh, You know, it's funny. Monster Squad was my first like Halloween episode. So uh, I'm excited. I love this one. This is a this is a good one, man. This is a fun (laughs) one. And this is one, you know, you know, as I got older, I kind of forgot about it. You know, yeah, it, it it's so it's so nostalgic when I think about it now. But I went several years thinking about Halloween. This was not a movie I would have just, ooh, I want to watch Monster Squad because I kind of yep. felt like I'd outgrown it. But I watched it again. We'll get, we'll talk about that in a few, minute, a few minutes. But it's great to go back and revisit. It was still enjoyable to watch uh, again uh, the other day when I watched it. So uh, let's just dive right in as we always do. So when, did, right, you see the mon- when did you see Monster Squad for the very first time? So uh, it came out in 87. Um, mm-hmm. I remember seeing it, I think, on video. So I didn't yeah. see it in the theaters. It was a, a video rental. So probably not till 88 was when I actually saw it. Mm-hmm. But man, it was awesome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like it wasn't quite scary enough mm-hmm. to get like the older teen kids. Right. But it was like just enough to to really hold my interest. And I've always been like really into those um like every Halloween we would watch the 30s and 40s, you know, oh, okay. Dracula, yeah. Frankenstein. Yeah, so yeah. this was like perfect. It was like, you know, like the Avengers <laughs> of uh <laughs> yeah. you know, where yeah. they're all getting together. Uh so I loved it. I, I thought it was great. And and I'll never forget 
just walking around with with my friends being like wolfman's got nards you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah the classic line from this movie for sure it sure so. is yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i'm saying with you i did not see this in the theater and i i honestly can't remember if i saw it on video or if i saw it on cable gotcha. but i i kind of remember the video so i might have seen on video but i'm kind of like you i think this kind of fell in that sweet spot of where i was in adolescence mm-hmm. where i wasn't the older teenager that would have been into more of like the Freddie and Jason, like the nightmare and Elm shoot stuff. Like I got into when I was like in middle, like mid late middle school, early high school, I was still, uh, I guess kind of preteen when this came out or right, you know, right before teenagers. So this, like I said, kind of hit that sweet spot for me where it, it, it wasn't like super scary, but it was mm-hmm. still fun. And, and it did have that Goonies and stand by me kind of feel to it. Uh, little rascals a little bit too. A little um, bit. Yeah. Yeah. I so, can see that. And when I saw it, I mean, I probably watched it five or six times. Like if I rented mm-hmm. it, I probably watched it a couple of times after I saw it the first time. So and that's yep, why I kind of think it, sure. might, it might have been a cable or one that I just because I, I think I've talked about this on other episodes. I don't know if it was on one with you. But when we went at one time where I was living, we were on a military base. My dad was in the army and mm-hmm. the uh, the library had VHS tapes that you could check out. So it was like yep. its own big video rental store, that, but we could just nice. check it out and we could check it out for like a week or a couple of days. But, you know, if there's so many different movies, you grab it, you go back a couple of days and you just check it out again. You didn't have to yep. pay for it. So it didn't <laughs> make that totally big deal. So this was probably one of those that I probably checked out from the library for like weeks at a time and just watched it over and over again. So, right. Yeah. This there's something about it. it it's gotten, I mean, it, there's a charm to it, mm-hmm. you know? And I, oh, I yeah. think, I think we were like right around that age with the, uh, that the kids themselves were. So like mm-hmm. we could really identify mm-hmm. with, you know, with these characters. Um, and then, I mean, I remember Ryan from, uh, from kids incorporated, yeah, you know, yeah. it was, uh, so he, he replaced Jerry in, in that second season. And I remember like, I was like, Hey, I know him. He's yeah. cool. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it was just, it was a whole bunch of just like the perfect combo of the cast, you know, that, that seemed like they were great friends, Mm -hmm. the cool monsters. um, And then the fact that the kids were like fighting back, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, so it had that Goonies kind of bit to it where, Mm -hmm. you know, it was the kids up against the Fratellis. But in this case, it was like Dracula (laughs) and And Wolfman. um, Yeah, exactly. And uh, (laughs) uh, Duncan Rieger who played uh, Dracula, he did like a phenomenal job. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. He has this like, this ferocity you know like like just he's just so like what's the word like rabid almost you know Mm -hmm. he just has this this intensity that you don't really get from a lot of like draculas yeah Yeah. um so i thought he did he just did a phenomenal job in that role and i'm you know it scared me and (laughs) and it got me believing that like dracula would really Mm -hmm. be in charge of all these guys i know Mm -hmm. a lot of them uh movies nowadays like to have like the werewolf killing the vampire um but i mean in the novel, Dracula had command over wolves, so it makes mm-hmm. sense that he would be in charge of the Wolfman. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Intensity was definitely the word that I was going to use for his performance because it was very intense. Even though it it has a comedy feel to it, he's mm-hmm. not playing it for laughs at all. No. He's it's he's it's very serious. And even like, and I even I think all the monsters. I think maybe Frankenstein has a few little kind of comedy moments, but it's right. Not, He's not yucking it up or anything like, you know, making it cartoonish. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, there to kind of give a little balance. And maybe even the Wolfman with kind of his hysterics can oh, come yeah. across as being like kind of funny. But, uh, but yeah, but Dracula was like, you know, he was the boss. 
uh, a master as uh, Frankenstein would uh, Frankenstein's monster would call him. So, you know, he definitely had that intensity. He just, he played that, that part to a T for sure. Yeah. So. Yeah. He sure did. I scared me when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to run into him in a dark alley. That's for that's sure. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when, uh, how long had it been since you rewatched it for the podcast? Well, you uh, did it on yours. so, so I did it on mine last year, so it's been a year. Um, yeah. and then I saw it again, uh, like about a week ago, a week and a half ago. Cause it was like right before we were originally going to record. And then unfortunately mm-hmm. I had to reschedule last minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but before then, gosh, it had been it had been probably ten to twenty years mm-hmm. since I'd seen it. It'd been a long time. I was like you, same thing. I'd kind of forgotten about it. Mm-hmm. It was one of my favorites growing up, but yeah. you know, you just yeah. you start getting into other things and you yeah. know, girls and music and you know, all <laughs> sorts of stuff, and then life, you know, you yeah. gotta work and it just it was one of those I kind of forgot about. And um it just it was I, I don't remember how, but someone brought up something and it just it reminded me i think it was the the, the classic line uh mm-hmm. that was just like oh yeah that that was that was a great movie and so then i went back to watch it and i said i'm gonna cover it for my show <laughs> yeah yeah i think it, yeah it's same for me it, it was a couple of years ago within the last probably five or six years it was on one of the streaming services it might have been hulu I want to say it was on Hulu at one point and it just mm-hmm. kind of popped up as like, you know, recommended viewing. Yeah. You might and like, I was like yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Oh my gosh, the monster squad. I was like, I've, and it's like one of those, like when it pops, it's like, I've got to watch this right yes. now. I don't care how late it is or what <laughs> yes. else I had planned today. This is what I'm going to watch. But I, you know, the thing I was shocked was this movie is an hour and 20 minutes and it is like super short. And we'll talk it's about very crisp. Yeah. yeah. We'll talk about, you know, how I got edited down or whatever, but so, I mean, it's, it's one of those movies that it's easily rewatchable because it doesn't take up so much time and you can literally watch it in an hour and 15 minutes if you don't sit the credits, which were actually ran extra slow to add some more time to the, <laughs> <laughs> to the movie. Nice. Which I thought was fast. With the there's a, there's a, a film that came out a couple of years ago and it only really started gaining traction um, like last I don't know, maybe a few months ago, uh, mm-hmm. maybe half a year, something like that, called Wolfman's Got Nards. Right, right. Uh, it's it's a if you've never seen it, it's yeah, great. It I really didn't get a goes to watch it in time for the podcast, but yeah, yeah, it really goes into everything. Uh, it was done by the creators. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of spearheaded by Sean Robert um, from um, uh, uh, Branded in the Eighties and and uh, the Cult Film Club podcast. Uh, I mean, he just. He, it was kind of he really identified with one of the characters and so he kind of just befriended like he was he was the guy that was like writing uh in, in eugene's style you know uh please uh, you know, uh, there are army men yeah. yeah army man yeah <laughs> he was kind of writing like that to the yeah. studio and he actually got him to kind of to really go into it and and so they made this movie because of it and it it's a pretty uh, like i'm glad he did it because i mean it's really entertaining it's mm-hmm. cool to see where some of the guys are and and learn about some of the stuff and so uh yeah i mean it's the, it, it's definitely edited down there's like mm-hmm. some deleted scenes they talk about in that yeah. and, and we'll talk about it i'm sure in a bit oh, yeah, but, yeah. but yeah it's it's one that uh if you enjoy monster squad you should go watch it definitely for sure and now these messages huh <sighs> What seems to be the problem, pal? There's so much pain in the world, so many issues, I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. 
Pop Culture Roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture-themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. All right, well, let's jump into the story origin and pre-production, kind of get the ball rolling as we do here on the show. So, um... Director Ted Decker's professional film career began when he was tapped by director Steve Miner to write the script for Godzilla, King of the Monsters in 3D in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. Uh, That project became one of the countless Hollywood projects that never got made. (laughs) But it was, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't remember seeing that one. So, but (laughs) it was enough to establish Decker in the film biz. He then went on to work on two memorable 1986 horror films. The first was House, which is great if you've never seen it. I remember Uh, House, yeah. yeah. Which Another can, one that scared me. Yeah, yeah. Which also was a good kind of mix of comedy and horror as well. Yep. Uh, he conceived and co-wrote that one. And the second was Night of the Creeps, which he wrote and directed. But with his next project, The Monster Squad, Decker and his frequent writing partner, Shane Black. That name sounds familiar. Oh, that's familiar. <laughs> sought to pay homage to the Universal Monster films of yesteryear. The thought process behind the film was reportedly to have been to make a kind of Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein for the 80s by blending elements of comedy with classic universal monsters. The film would become Decker's second as a director. His post-Monster Squad writing credits included Ricochet, If Looks Could Kill, Robocop 3, which he also directed, and the 2018 version of The Predator. He has also performed uncredited rewrites for such films as Demolition Man, Lethal Weapon 4, and Titan AE. So, he uh they, he talked a little bit. I read a couple of interviews from Decker, and he said that because this movie did not do so well commercially, it kind of put the pause on his directing uh, opportunities, which was, kind of, which was kind of disappointing. So yeah, uh, but he continued to write, which you know he had his credits on some some decent movies, mm-hmm. so he did some stuff. But as we mentioned, Shane Black would of course go on to be one of the hottest screenwriting talents in Hollywood, and at one time the highest paid, earning a staggering four million dollars for his screenplay, The Long Kiss Goodnight. Around the time he wrote Monster Squad with Decker, he had not yet finished the screenplay for Lethal Weapon, which actually came out six months earlier. (laughs) But uh, Black's original vision for the opening sequence was scrapped as it was deemed far too ambitious and would have eaten up the majority of the budget. It would have involved Van Helsing storming Dracula's castle, accompanied by Zeppelin airplanes and hundreds of men on horseback. <laughs> it seems Talk a shame. Yeah. As, it seemed, <laughs> as, we, as we talked about on our Lethal Weapon episode on your podcast, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Shane Black tends to be very, uh, he comes up with some very broad or great ideas that nobody in Hollywood really wants to pay for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got to rein him in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. No, just a little bit. Just a little yeah. bit. Shane Black, I love Shane Black. Yeah, he's oh, got yeah. he's got great uh, great stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Uh, yeah, I mean just, just all of those. Yeah, um, it's something about his style that just kind of resonates. I think mm-hmm. with with me especially, but um, but I think with a lot of people, you know, um, mm-hmm. they just they they dig his kind of blend of comedy and, yeah. and action. Yeah, and and he really can get to the heart of something um, mm-hmm. when he wants to. Uh, that whole, um, I mean, in Lethal Weapon that we talked about, you know, it's, I mean, that's a great script mm-hmm. and, and he really gets to like the heart of, of Riggs as a character and, mm-hmm. and all that. Um, 
So I, when I heard that he had done this, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah that checks out for sure. Yeah. And, and the two, two things I, I saw this on a video. I never found it in any of my written research, but I'll throw it out there. But basically he said, they said that um, Decker and Shane never worked in the same room together on the script. They basically were only like throwing out, you know, kind of, I guess back then would be mailing or phone calling or sending messages back and forth of different ideas and kind of constructing it as they went. So there's only like one line of dialogue that they actually wrote together (laughs) of the whole movie. So, but (laughs) but the other thing was Decker was saying in an interview that I I read, and he said that a lot of the elements that he loves about the movie, he credits to Decker and his writing. And he said, Decker really was not, he didn't want to be a screenwriter. Like that wasn't what he, he was, he's always been a writer, but he just, he, Mm -hmm. he'd only written like, uh, like full stories. And so Decker wanted to be more like the screenwriter. He would ask him, is it, is it easy? Is it hard? He said, well, for me, it's easier because I don't have to fill in a whole lot of stuff. I just give basic ideas and a lot of dialogue. And he really gravitated toward that. He said, but I appreciate it because he was able, he's able to tap into a way of storytelling that works very well as a screenwriter. So I just thought it was really cool that I think Decker kind of, kind of helped Shane Black become the man that he is. And mm-hmm. we've benefited from, you know, a lot of his movies over the years. So, so yeah, I thought that was great. And, and there are and he, one thing he talked about was a lot of the family elements with the John's dad mm-hmm. John, and his yeah. mom and their marital issues. And that was all, that was all Shane Black's ideas to build some family tension and, and add different elements of the story besides just being a bunch of kids fighting monsters. There was deeper stories there that he added in, which I thought was great. It was a great idea because it, mm-hmm. you're right. It, it adds a lot of heart. It adds depth to their character as mm-hmm. well. Um, and it gives something for the mom and the dad really to, to kind of do. Yeah. You know, instead of just be there and be like, oh, there's no such thing as monsters. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. there's like reasons to, to <laughs> you know, actually care about these characters, mm-hmm. uh, which you're right. Shane Black's great at, at doing that, at, at, uh, at establishing um, in very few lines, just um, a real, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, uh, gosh. A gravitas, I guess. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll say uh, a genuineness where it, it feels genuine, it, like a real family would would interact that way. It's not just yeah, lines yeah. on a page to move the story forward. There's, you know, you there's it's grounded and it seems to be more grounded than just which once again in this kind of movie, you've got werewolves and, and vampires. <laughs> yeah. You know, the kids are fighting them just completely outrageous, but then you've got this family where the wife is upset at her husband because he's mm-hmm. he loves his job or he seems to be more interested in his job than his family. And there's those little scenes that I don't, I didn't remember watching when I was a kid, but I see them now where when he comes, when Sean comes in the house at the end, the mom's got her bags packed. She's got her bags. It's packed. a very, yep. it's a very mm-hmm. quick shot, but that spoke volumes, you know, to mm-hmm. the story. That's a quick shot, you know? So uh, I think those are, those are those little elements. I think uh, Shane Black added in to give it a little bit more gravitas as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, yo, it worked. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> While we're talking about it now, that's exactly later. right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's good. let's let's jump into casting. This was okay. I was talking to Jerry before we started recording. I was like, we can't go over every single cast member because it's just it's too big. It, there's too many people to cover. So uh, we'll highlight some. Of course, we can't get to everybody, and not saying that some are more important than the others. Just. This is what we do for t- sake of time. So, mm-hmm. but Jerry, you're more than welcome to jump in. If, uh, if when we get to the end, if you want to add any, any more, go sure, for it. So sure. we'll start with Andre Gower who played Sean Crenshaw. 
Uh, Gower got his acting start on TV with the role of Derek on Days of Our Lives, which I don't remember seeing. <laughs> I don't either. Yeah. Uh, my mom didn't watch that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were. Anyway, I'll get into that story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most of his acting credits are from guest spots on TV shows like Knight Rider, Remington Steel, My Two Dads, and Valerie, or also known as the Hogan Family. God, so. can you imagine? I mean, that's a cool resume. Can you yeah. imagine oh, like yeah, yeah. just being on all of those Magnum mm-hmm. PI Knight Rider? Yeah. I mean, yeah. A team. I think awesome. he was on there too. Yeah. So he <laughs> just little, just be there for just one episode and get put that on your resume. But yeah, but I he, know that's he, uh, cool, but he didn't really do much uh, else as far as movies. He's right. done some short films and he's continued to write and direct and do some stuff in Hollywood, but he didn't become such a big uh, mega movie star. But I did watch an interview with him, Ryan Lambert, who played Rudy, mm-hmm. and then Ashley, I think, that played the Ashley Bank, who, oh, turned, um, who played Phoebe. Was Phoebe? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think Sci-Fi had did like a little, on their 30th anniversary of the movie, they did a couple of interviews. And he was saying that he actually auditioned for the part of Rudy, like he was going to be the cool kid. Like that was the part he really wanted. <laughs> and uh, he didn't, he never auditioned for the role of Sean. He auditioned for Rudy. And when he got played the role of Sean, when he met Ryan Lambert, he was like, eh, that's the guy that, that knows all the lines that I know. He knows like, I don't know any of my lines. I know all his lines, <laughs> so, which I thought was hilarious. That's, that's such a kid thing too. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like, Oh, I I learned your part. <laughs> yeah. And they met, they all met about a week before production started at Debbie Gibson's birthday party. So wow. Hollywood in the eighties. There you go. That's right. It's, that's cool. It's, it's all in that sentence right there. you know what though i mean it's cool to be the cool kid but like yeah he's like the main guy oh yeah yeah, it's all about him now so i mean that's to me that's a step up oh yeah yeah he said me and he said going back and you know once the movie was done he realized he got the right part and yeah ryan lambert got the right ryan yeah. yeah but they were they were going over like who had the most kills because ryan got to kill more people but he got yeah. to kill dracula so he it all panned out so yeah, Dracula, I think, in this case, is worth quite a bit more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get more points. <laughs> That's <Ireland>. right, yeah. <laughs> so so next we got Robbie Kiger as Patrick Rhodes. Uh, Andre Gower and Robbie Kiger were actually were... friends Yeah, yeah. before filming. Gower campaigned to the producers to get Kiger in the best friend role. Uh, Kiger only had three other film credits, Children of the Corn in 84, Mickey and Maude also in 84, and Welcome Home, Roxy Carmichael in 1990. So. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I don't know. I've uh, seen that movie. I can't tell you anything that happened in that Same movie. here. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember the, the video cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, every, yeah. Every time we'd go rent it, it would still be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Winona Ryder. Yeah, that was during her, her heyday yeah. when every movie she made was not a hit. So, yeah. But, uh, but yeah. So then we got Stephen Mocked as Detective Dale Crenshaw, also Sean's dad. Uh, In the 70s, um, Stephen was scouted at the Stratford Shakespeare Festival in Canada and signed by Universal Television to come to Hollywood to begin his film career. He played leading men in dozens of television movies and feature films such as Raid on Entebbe in 1979, 76. Uh, And he was also in Stephen King's Graveyard Shift in 1990. Uh, but he, most people knew him then for playing Sharon Gless's love interest on Cagney and Lacey, the TV show. Yes. 
I do remember that. My parents used to love Cagney and Lacey. (laughs) So that's one that I I really, really remember very well. (laughs) So that's where I knew him from. I was like, hey, it's the guy. Yeah. (laughs) I knew he looked familiar, you know, when going back and watching the movie, but I couldn't place what he had been in before. And he has almost like a Roy Scheider yeah, he does. Uh, kind he, of, kind of vibe to him. Kind of so, look, I was like, yeah. so I was like, maybe that's why I'm kind of mixing him up with him because it's not him, but it kind of looks like him. Uh, but if you ever watched the show Suits that was on USA for several years, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you ever watched that. It was one of my favorite shows. But uh, the guy that played Harvey Specter is actually the son of Stephen Mock, and he guest starred on a couple episodes uh, of the show. So I remember that as well. So nice. Yeah, I never saw it. Uh, yeah. Although I remember the the commercials for it. Yeah. It was just yeah. one that I've just never got into. Gotcha. But- it was a good yeah. show. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Moving right along. As we talked about before, Duncan Regeer. Is that how you say his last name? Uh, I always said Regeer. Regeer. Um, that that's how I've heard it. But works. Yeah. either way, yeah. uh, he played Count Dracula. Uh, this is one of, probably one of my favorite facts on this movie that I, I found out. Uh, when casting the film in 86, Liam Neeson was not yet a household name. As such, he auditioned for the role of Dracula. His audition was so good that he was all set to be cast until Duncan Regeer came in and blew the casting directors away. Even so, Neeson was financially compensated for his role despite never appearing in the movie, which I thought was like, wow, you still get paid and didn't even get them. Like, I guess it got far enough in the negotiations yeah. that they had. It was a payer, you know, payer play kind of a deal. So, but as for Regeer, his portrayal of Dracula was voted by Wizard Magazine as the best depiction of Dracula ever captured on film. So. I believe it. Yeah. Uh, if you go back and read the the book, mm-hmm. um, he's very, yes, he's kind of suave, but really it's mostly like he's just fierce and kind of mm-hmm. like single-minded in purpose, which yeah. is this Dracula here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, uh, of course, in that that one that, that Francis Ford Coppola did, it, it's beautifully done. I love the score. I love the mm-hmm. movie. That whole love story between uh, Winona Ryder's character, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and Dracula was completely made up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So like in the, in the novel, mm-hmm. like Dracula really, he like just, tries to turn her and goes after her as revenge for them, mm. like destroying his, his stuff, his castle. <laughs> so, I mean, it's like, like this, this is a great version of Dracula. Yeah. And oh, like, yeah, like yeah. this is like when you hear like Lord of the vampires, I mean, this is what you think of like, mm-hmm. this guy's going to mess you up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but at the same time, he's still, he can still kind of be charismatic as mm-hmm. well. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, funny thing about that Liam Neeson thing, I know that there was a deleted scene, uh, and I'm not sure if it was actually, ever actually shot or not, but it was mm-hmm. uh, something that was cut where he was going to be um, like Dracula as kind of like in disguise, essentially. Oh, and okay. It's, and it's only when they realize that he doesn't have a reflection that they realize that it's actually Dracula. So they were still gotcha. going to use him in the in the in film, the and, then, gotcha. mm-hmm, and then it ended up getting cut. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, again, that's really cool. And I mean, it's Liam Neeson, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, he would have acted the heck out of it as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because after seeing this, then I was in one of my Facebook groups on uh, my 80s Facebook groups. Somebody mm-hmm. has been doing screenshots of old episodes of Miami Vice. And they yeah. had one of Liam Neeson on an episode of Miami Vice. So I was like, that was probably about the same time that he was auditioning. <laughs> probably, Yeah. <laughs> All right, so moving along, Tom Noonan as Frankenstein's monster. Gravitating towards film and TV in the 80s, he began appearing regularly in edgy, unsympathetic roles, most notably as a tooth fairy serial killer in Manhunter in 1986, which was the first feature-length film to introduce the infamous Hannibal Lecter. Most of his other work at the time included looming parts in Easy Money in 83, 
Best Defense in 84, and RoboCop 2 in 1990. He transitioned to mostly TV work in the 90s while writing and teaching acting courses. So, And I remember him as uh, the, I don't remember his name, the Ripper, I think, from uh, Last Action Hero. Yes, he was in that too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not a great movie, but for some reason, I really enjoy that movie. <laughs> it's so hey, terrible. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah, like, yeah. man, I love this movie. <laughs> yeah. It falls you know, in that like, so bad, it's good category. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's and I, So it's just, it's one of those I really enjoyed. And of course, to, um, you know, seeing him there, it's it's very different from his uh, Frankenstein's monster role. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which again, he he plays really well. He's got mm-hmm. that, that sympathetic vibe. Mm-hmm. You kind of feel bad. Uh, and, and I know, I mean, when they were doing the makeup for it, because his Frankenstein used to bother me when I was a kid, because it didn't look exactly like it. And of course, now as an adult, I know why, because they right. didn't actually have rights to use those particular exactly. the uh, universal, images. The universal characters, yeah. Right. So they kind of had to, you know, uh, be <laughs> as close as possible without actually doing it. Right, right. Um, but I mean, he really brings like that sympathy and that that sympathetic vibe to it. You know, it's like, oh, you feel bad for this guy because he's really not a monster. He's just kind of doing what Dracula says because he mm-hmm. thinks he's his master. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And so all those scenes with him and Phoebe are like very touching. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it it's cool. I, I dig what they did with him. Yeah, for sure. I meant to go back and add it to my notes, but we got to talk about Stan Winston, who did all the makeup and effects. Yes, because that I think that even more so added to the greatness of the film because you could have made this movie with some really, I let's just say, it, do this some crappy monsters, it would have been a horrible mm-hmm. movie. But yeah. I mean, even going back and look, I mean, looking at it now, and then I was even like looking at pictures I was doing my research, and even the still shots from the monsters, like they're so well done and they're, they're so, very well done. Yeah, and a lot of the effects were really like one of my favorite effects is the uh, is when the mummy gets uh when oh, uh, uh, unraveled yeah when, when ryan <laughs> shoots the arrow and, and he starts unraveling like i was just like that's amazing they did that like even now like they would see totally cgi that now but it was practical effects back then so it yeah. just it makes it even more cool so i one of my favorites uh speaking of stan winston was yeah. the transformation of uh, the wolfman when yes. he's in the phone booth and the, the camera's kind of panning around mm-hmm. and as it's passing the frame, he like get, gets more and more, you know, each, mm-hmm. each frame of that, that um, phone booth, you know, he gets more and more wolfy mm-hmm. and it's just so, so well done. Mm-hmm. I mean, Stan Winston's a genius. Him yeah. and his group. I mean, they just, they, they know how to make something work. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, practically. And of course they eventually did go into the computer stuff as well, mm-hmm. but. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I mean, what they can do with practical effects just blows your mind when you think about it. And it's kind mm-hmm. of like a lost art now. Yeah. Like you said, yeah. everybody just does CG. But mm-hmm. I mean, he he God, he was on top of his game <laughs> when he did these because they're close enough to remind you of the actual creatures mm-hmm. without actually being the actual creatures. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which uh, the Gill Man, you know, the creature yeah. from the Black Lagoon. Right. I right. always loved this version better than the actual design of the original <laughs> it's just it's something about it just looks cooler yeah know? yeah so speaking of the gill man because i don't think i'm i don't have him as one of my characters but yeah one yeah. of the videos that i was watching about it they were talking about how for his co- and he was actually the person that played him was actually one of the visual effects guys who didn't actually make the gill man outfit but worked like different special effects guys worked on one individual monster so they oh, gotcha. all had a you know kind of a they all added, all added their personal touch because some say that the Wolfman looked like uh, Winston, like that was they, they, they formed that for his face. I could see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, as far as the Gill Man, they said that he 
it was his first time ever, you know, doing that kind of a role. Right. But the mask that he had because of the eyes, there were basically little bitty pinholes. So he could not really see out of the, of the pinholes. And then because they didn't want to see any seams in the suit, they actually glued the helmet and it had to stay glued the whole day of filming. So he would be in that suit for like 10 to 14 hours. Oh my gosh. Can't eat, can't drink, can't go to the bathroom. So uh, yeah, he went through it, which is probably why he's not in it as much as, <laughs> as you would think. Would <laughs> That's right. So he's yeah. like, give me as little screen time as possible. But, uh, but, once, yeah, again, my, yeah, but once again, one of my favorite, I mean, like seeing a still shot of that character is like, man, that is so well done. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, realistic, you know, looking so. Oh, every time he comes out of the water, it's just like, whoa. I mean, it just, <laughs> yeah. oh, it's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. It's just great. You know, mm-hmm. it's, they captured that the essence of the original, but they heightened it. Yeah. And, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, in the eighties was all about excess, you know, and mm-hmm. so they really captured that excess um, mm-hmm. to just such an enjoyable degree. Yeah. 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 Coming out of the water, the, the monster ate my Twinkie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I All love right. Eugene. He was funny. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about uh, Brett Shalem or Chalem as Horace. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was considered a popular child actor in the '80s, although he only had very small roles in nearly all but two of the movies he appeared in. He also appeared in TV roles on Quantum Leap and Dance Till Dawn in '88 and '89. His career as an adult never took off after the '80s, so he began to study law while working for a legal firm in Las Vegas. But unfortunately, on December 9th, 1987, he died of pneumonia at the age of yeah. just 22. So it was very sad to see that uh, in, in news about it. But I like that his name was Horace. We don't we don't know him as just the fat kid, which yeah, <laughs> really bothered I, I'm me. glad I'm <laughs> glad they gave him. Yeah, it, that used to bother me too as a kid. I mean, like, why? That's mean. Why Everybody would you call just him, call that? him that? Yeah, yeah. But I loved this scene. It was like, good job, fat kid. My name is Horace. <laughs> yep. Yep. I mean, it's, that's just like, like, that's right. You respect the yeah, guy. Yeah. Some respect on my name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my favorite scene with him is, uh, and, and I know I'm skipping ahead. I'm sorry. No, okay. I, no, I have to say it, uh, is when like they're getting ready to go into the mansion, you know, Dracula's mansion. Oh, yeah. Shadow yeah, yeah, Brick yeah. Road, and he's yeah. like, why can't we be math club? Or, right. Right. <laughs> it's just yeah. like trying to come up with other, uh, yeah, other take, ideas for them instead yeah. of being the monster squad <laughs> we can take nature walks and talk about nature yeah that's right yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. those are the li- those are the two lines that decker and shane came up with together <laughs> that's the only part <laughs> that they wrote together so, yeah oh man but yeah but yeah. he was great i mean of course and and i, I want to say like his character is the only one that really makes me feel the connection with goonies because mm-hmm. i feel like he's trying to be or not but he's not trying to be they're trying to portray him sort of as the chunk character he's yeah. overweight he's kind of the he's the comic relief he's you know yeah. doesn't know when to not he's rambling when he's talking much like i'm doing right now but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so so i kind of felt bad because if you're gonna compare the two you know chunk is definitely more iconic but i mm-hmm. liked his character even in this like i i felt like he mm-hmm. still he still added his own element to it wasn't just the the typical quote unquote fat kid character. So, right. Uh, but, uh, and I know we're not talking about favorite scenes, but, but the scene that when it happened, when watching it again in this scene, I was like, oh man, I remember the scene. Cause it, it, it affected me as a kid. Cause you know, when he was getting bullied by the kids and, you know, uh, Jason Hervey, of course, uh, we all know from the wonder years who played yep. the bully. Um, and, uh, and uh, he's, he plays the actor, the actor kid in Pee Wee's big adventure too. Yes. Yeah. 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 He had quite the 80s and career. Back to the Future. He was in Back to, the, back future to the Future. Also. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> he, 
he he made his made his rounds. So he sure well, did. Yeah. So when he you know kicked off you know uh, smashed his candy bar, and you're just like, oh man, that is like the worst thing. But then of course mm-hmm. when Rudy shows up, Rudy and comes. Him, stands, yeah. You know, that that whole scene was just like as a kid, and I was I wasn't bullied to that extreme, but I mm-hmm. you know I endured my own level of bullyingness, and I was like. Yeah, that's what you get, man. Eat that. That's right. That yeah. candy bar. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you eat that candy bar, man. How does it, eat how it. Does it taste? How does it that's taste right. to you? Yeah. You don't like how it tastes, do you? So you know, kind of. I, I love how he's just like Rudy, and his voice yeah. kind of cracks a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It's like, <laughs> that's great. But I, you know, I, I wish we could. You know, we're, we're talking about Rudy next, so we're we're not too far off off the map here. So Ryan, right. Ryan the Bear, as we mentioned, was part of uh, Kids Incorporated. That's what he was most recognized at the time. Yeah. He did other TV work, but this is a one and only film credit. But I wish they would have given us some kind of backstory of why he wanted to dress like the Fonz, even though yeah. I was a huge Happy Days fan. And I thought it was cool, but that that may be the one part of the movie that doesn't age as well. And yep. maybe because today we're so far removed from the fifties, like mm-hmm. back then in the in the in that in the mid eighties, fifties was still really cool. Like you, yeah. you know, you had Back to the Future that kind of brought some of that mm-hmm. eight, that you know, fifties flare back and happy days, happy days. Yeah. It wasn't still on TV at that time, but the reruns were still heavily in rotation. So people right. knew about who the Fonz was. So, but I wish we would have gotten some kind of backstory of why he thought the leather jacket and the, the Brown shoes, <laughs> the Brown penny loafers, you know, so. <laughs> well, leather jackets are always cool. Always cool. But, yeah. But uh, yeah, it would have been, I mean, you get a sense that he's kind of a loner. Yeah. Like yeah. he's kind of an outcast as well. You know, the other right. guys are, they're outcasts. Uh, you know, of course the, the Sean and, and what's in Patrick getting in trouble, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, Horace again, getting bullied mm-hmm. and Rudy. Yeah. He's cool. But again, he's kind of like, he's his own thing. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, he doesn't really belong. And then I, I like that. He kind of finds a place to belong with these yeah. kids. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's like, Hey, you don't belong. We don't belong, but you know, mm-hmm. we kind of belong together, you know, right. we fit pretty well. Yeah. Uh, although it is funny that he, you know, he actually makes bullets yeah. and, uh, uh you <laughs> know, wooden stakes, uh, wooden stakes. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's, I, I don't know any shop teacher that would let you do that, no, but, no. Uh, but you know, it was the eighties. So maybe yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, he was, you know, the teacher was in the, in the back smoking a cigarette. Probably, that's probably, right. Probably, yeah. Probably he's like, all right, just don't day. cut anything off. Right, let me yeah. go take a break. Call, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Call me if anybody loses a finger. I'll be honest. That's, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, yeah. look at, but thinking about it too, I think they make the line that he's in junior high; they're all in elementary school, so they're automatically seem as cool because he's older. And he's probably older, in middle yeah. school, he he may have been the one being bullied in middle school or junior high. But it's true, you know, yeah, we don't so, know. So he seems to be the cool one for the elementary. So it 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 just made sense to me now. So it was, it's all good now. All yeah, it's all it's all it's all clear. So. <laughs> <laughs> and now these messages. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D. of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever. 
like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagging with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. So next we have Ashley Bank, who played Phoebe Crenshaw, the younger sister who befriends Frankenstein's monster. Um, She didn't do a whole lot of things as well, but the one... trivia thing that i thought was fascinating that she turned down the role of fatal attraction to play phoebe in this movie (laughs) i did read that yeah that's like i mean that's yeah uh you know (laughs) not that i think i would want to be in that movie but you know as a yeah it's like of the two as a kid i would have rather been in this movie uh as an actor trying to make it in hollywood it's like looking like like no take the meryl (laughs) street or uh, the glenn close and michael douglas movie you know that's (laughs) that's gonna be a big your big break right there but you know (laughs) It was written that she turned it down, but I'm saying as a, you know, she's playing five. She was probably like seven or eight at the time, but right. I'm sure her parents were the ones who decided which role she was going to take. And probably this was smart, probably, yeah. this was probably a little safer uh, for her to be a <laughs> part true. of. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> so one of my favorites, Jonathan Grise or Grease as mm-hmm. the desperate man or the wolf man. Yeah. He is one of the most versatile character actors. He has over 140 acting credits. That span six decades. Yes. His most notable roles are Laszlo in Real Genius in 85 and Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite 2004. I actually remember him as, uh, I don't remember his name, but uh, from The Pretender. Because my okay. roommate in college used to love watching The Pretender. Yeah. And uh, so he was like one of the guys who was trying to chase Jared down, you know. <laughs> uh, so it was just, I mean, it was like, hey, yeah. I know that guy. He was from Monster Squad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? He's been, yeah. When I mean, when I saw his face, it's like, man, I know that face. I know he's been in other stuff, but I couldn't, I couldn't think of what it was. And then when I saw the Uncle Rico, I was like, oh, my gosh, that is so hilarious. <laughs> and, I mean, he's still working. He was just on a show on HBO uh, just mm-hmm. recently that I saw. And I was like, I'm, you know, once again, I've seen that guy. I know that guy, but I can't tell you what I've seen him in. But yeah. when, when he popped up here, I was like, I was like, I know I know this actor. I've seen him in a, a bunch of the stuff and just read through his credits. Like I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. he's just one of those character actors that kind of transforms in the role they need him to be. So, yeah. Yeah, and you're right. He Character actor is like the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, he came out in an episode of Psych that i love oh yeah where he's like a like an ex cia operative kind of guy who Mm -hmm. like you know faked his own death and and retired to the woods and uh (laughs) i mean he's just he plays like the paranoid you know tell me what you want or i'm gonna kill you Mm -hmm. like really well yeah but here i mean again he just he nails like everybody's bringing their a game i think Mm -hmm. in this one i really enjoy it because he's he's um he commits so hard like when he's calling sean's dad to yeah. warn him yeah you know I, I mean it's just like that intensity or when he goes to the police station to try to 
to to you know get them to lock him up and then they mm-hmm. shoot him i mean it's just everything about it he's he's committing a hundred percent I, I, there's nobody in this cast that I really don't like, but last on the list, of course, we didn't cover everybody, but this is the last one we're going to talk about. Mary Ellen Trainer as Emily Crenshaw, or Sean's mom. She played the mother of the lead siblings who of the Goonies. So, the why Goonies not, yeah. so why not be the mom <laughs> in this one too? Just keep that correlation together. But yep. she's she's mostly remembered from her roles in two of the biggest action Christmas movies of the 80s, Lethal Weapon. As a psychiatrist, as a psychiatrist, and also in yeah. Die Hard. <laughs> so, but yeah, but I mean, she's got her Richard Donner uh, correlation, her Shane she, Black correlation. Mm-hmm. So she, she, well, and and uh, later on, she has a bit part in Scrooge. Yep, yep, as yep. well with Richard Donner. Yeah, so so she was one of his favorites. I think we talked. I think I think we brought her up and we talked about her and Lethal Weapon. We did. Yeah, yeah she was. <laughs> she had been in several Richard Donner's movies. He always yeah. calling her for stuff, but. But once again, she's great in this. She doesn't have, yeah. you know, a whole lot to do. Uh, but um, even, even though this isn't her specifically, but I love the note on the board. Oh, the, the Alucard. Yeah. But somebody wants his book on Van Halen, not Van Helsing. Which I was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought it was hilarious. Classic mom. They yeah, don't know exactly. what you're into. <laughs> it's a bad connection. It's back. Back That's right. <laughs> uh, um, real quick, before we move on, I want, I want yeah. to mention uh, Leonardo Cimino. Okay. Um, who I knew him from V. Uh, yes, he was also yep. in Dune. Um, again, yeah, yeah, another yeah. character this actor. The, yeah, this was the uh, scary, the scary, scary German, German guy. guy. That that yeah. was his actual name in the credits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't, they don't, they never say his real name. But uh, I like how again Shane Black and, and you know and Fred Decker kind of go in deep. Mm-hmm. He talks about he has met monsters in real life, mm-hmm. and it's he's talking about because he was in a yeah. concentration camp. You know, yeah. he he survived like one of the you know, one of the most vile things in human history. So, yeah, I mean, it's like, wow, I, yeah. you know, I, I get it. There really are monsters, you know, yeah. uh, which is kind of deep. And of course, mm-hmm. as a seven year old, I didn't understand. But yeah. now going back, yeah. it's like, how did I not? How did I not catch oh, yeah. that? You, you I would, yeah, I was going to say, like, when they show that scene where he, he makes that comment and then you see the number, you know, tattoos on the his tattoo. Arm, mm-hmm. And I was like, as a kid, I would have had no ref- point of reference to know what that meant. Yeah, I, I had no re- idea what that meant. I didn't either. know that too much, too much later. So now seeing it as an adult, I'm like, ooh, that's once again, depth to a character and, mm-hmm. and, and grounded in reality. Yeah. Um, and I think Decker even talked about that, that he was he almost didn't include that scene because he wanted to he wanted to give more backstory. Like he didn't want to just show mm-hmm. it and then not say anything about it. Right. Like, but I'm making a monster movie. I can't get too you can't get into it. Yeah. I can't get too grounded in reality. And then it, it pull it it then it fights with the, the audience will fight with what's real and right. what's not. So he said the little the little shot was enough, but he really wanted to explore that more, but it couldn't fit in, in this type of movie. So which I thought was smart. Smart, and, yeah. And kind of wishing the same thing. Like I would have loved to hear more of his backstory as well. But yeah, but what a great it, character! What a great it's, character! It's tough because I mean, I'm you know I'm a composer, so I understand. Mm-hmm. It's like you have all these ideas and you want to put them all in, and then it's mm-hmm. like, well, it, does it really fit mm-hmm. with what I'm doing? Does it work? And so you always have to edit yourself, and then you're like, oh man, but I really liked that idea. <laughs> and so, and, you know, and you hear it all the time with films as well. Yeah, you know, the director's oh, yeah, yeah. like, I did not want to cut this scene, but mm-hmm. I felt like I had to for pacing or yep. for whatever. Yep. And it's like I. I get it. It's rough. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Yeah, which talking about you know scenes that were cut. Screech actually made his debut in this movie. <laughs> he did. But, yes, <laughs> but he was the scene. Uh, and Decker even said he was like, "It just didn't work. We we tried it a couple of different ways, and the way we wanted the scene to work, 
it just never panned out the way we wanted to. So we just ended up cutting it all together. Yeah. But it's on the cutting room some floor somewhere. There's no, it's not in any of the deleted scenes that you can find on the DVDs and stuff. No. But they did acknowledge that he was, uh, he was there and filmed, but never got to see it. So. Yeah. Well, yeah. All right, well, let's talk about favorite scenes, iconic scenes. We've kind of talked about some of our favorite scenes already, but this, <laughs> it's that type of movie. I mean, we're not yeah. going to, we're, we're going to talk about it all the way through. So, but, exactly. But yeah, yeah so, so iconic, what, what do you, is there an iconic scene for you? I think the most iconic is, of course, the one I mentioned earlier, the Wolfman's Got Nards. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, of everybody, everybody knows that scene. Uh, <laughs> even if you've never seen the scene, you know the line. Yeah. Oh, know, yeah. That's yeah. how iconic it is. Yeah. But for me personally, I actually enjoyed when they brought, uh, when they, when they brought Frankenstein's creature back to life, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like they, they fished or, you know, the, <laughs> no pun intended, the Gilman, uh, you know, he fished he, him out of the water, fished him out of the water <laughs> and, you know, they opened the crate and he's mm-hmm. there and, and Dracula has that, that, um, it's like his walking stick, but he turns it upside right. down and it becomes like a, a lightning rod, like, like a lightning rod essentially. Yeah. yeah. And it's like him and the wolf man and the mummy. I mean, they're it's all just there like together. They're all there together. Yeah. And it's just like, Whoa, that mm-hmm. just blew my mind as a little kid. Cause yeah, I'd seen Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, but you know, it was very, very playful and mm-hmm. funny. And, and mm-hmm. so this was like, like serious for real. Mm-hmm. We're all here. And so I, to me, that just was like, wow, I, I love it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, of yeah. course the uh, Wolfman's got nards. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah, <laughs> Wolfman's got that. That that is the iconic scene, and same with that scene. Like when that they and they hold that shot for a good minute too, because the the lightning flashes and the thunder in the background, and it's and with the funny part now is looking at it because Frankenstein reaches his hand up and Dracula's mm-hmm. reaching his hand down, but they hold that scene for so long they never actually touch. It's like. The director's like, okay, oh, freeze, don't, don't move, just stay just like that. And they're just, they're just panning the, you know, they're panning the camera back to get the wider shot and they're just right. kind of stuck in that frozen position. So it's kind of funny looking at it now, but it's still, a, yeah. it's still, like I said, it's a great scene because you have them all there together, which you don't really yeah. ever see them again all together in the movie. Um, right. The scene that I remembered the most, and as soon as it came up, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the part that I loved, probably because it's the part that I loved as a kid. It's when Sean's dad sticks the dynamite in Wolfman's pants yes. and pushes him out the window, and he completely <laughs> blows up. As a kid, that was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen in a movie ever. It's like they just blew him up completely. So, uh, so, so that's that's by far like the the iconic scene for me. It's like the the best kill of the movie is a uh, Wolfman getting blown up. So, which is so funny because earlier they're like, "What's the second way to kill the Wolfman?" You know, they're, yeah. they're like giving Rudy the test, the yeah. monster test, <laughs> and uh, you know, he, like uh, they mentioned, you know, uh, blowing him up or yeah. you know, ch- chopping him in pieces or something mm-hmm. like that, and then it actually happens. Yeah. Uh, and you think, okay, well, he's he's still alive. He's just in different pieces, but nope. Somehow he magically like comes back together, mm-hmm. which is bonkers. But yeah. I love it. It just it works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I and think then- because the whole the entire situation is kind of absurd. Oh yeah. That, uh, it just you know it's one of those like uh, it. I'll I'll believe it. I do at this mm-hmm. point. I believe it that the only way to kill a, a wolf man is is with the silver bullet. Mm-hmm. So what about favorite <laughs> scenes? I know you got well, of than, course, that one. one um, I loved. I used to love trying to draw, like. I actually would try to draw Dracula's car with the skull. Oh yeah, uh, oh, on yeah. it. You know the the, the, the hood ornament. Yeah, it was like a hearse. So I would try to draw it because I used to love to draw. Um, so one of my favorite scenes is when like they're kind of playing chicken, and then mm. his car just like drives, just yes. goes straight through yes. uh, Dell's car. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Sean's dad's car. So that's one of my favorites. Uh, of course, I love when. Um, when when 
Dracula grabs Phoebe and he like lifts her up and he mm-hmm. really scares her. Uh, you know, that was actually her real fear in her eyes. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. But he, you know, he scares her and he's like, give me the amulet. You, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, that whole scene I thought was again, just you, you feel like that, that animosity mm-hmm. that he's has towards everybody. And, and just that, that, uh, I, I, wanna, I don't want to say rabbit again, cause I said mm-hmm. it earlier, but I mean, like you just, you feel how, just he needs it and he's mm-hmm. willing to do anything it takes to get it, you know, mm-hmm. that amulet so he can rule the world. So oh, yeah, that's yeah. An, another one of my favorite scenes. I just, I, I thought it was really well done. I thought uh, his, his contacts with the red eyes and mm-hmm. his teeth were perfect. Cause one of the things I always kind of hated, especially in like the early uh, vampire movies was the, uh, how sometimes, especially like you're thinking Nosferatu, they had the teeth like right there. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And and I liked how they perfectly spaced, you know, his, uh, his canines or whatever, mm-hmm. they, you know, mm-hmm. his fangs. Yeah. Uh, so that shot is just like one of my favorite shots of the whole thing. And uh, I mean, if you tell me like name a Dracula or like picture Dracula, like that's <laughs> one of the shots I picture right there. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another scene, like a scene with him that it's like watching it now, I didn't really, I didn't understand it. And this is probably, I, I got some understanding reading the um, research, but when he goes and blows up the, the tree house, you know, oh, he's, yeah. got the, he's got the dynamite and he's like, you know, uh, he says on like the meeting adjourned or your meeting is over now. Yeah. Like that. And so, but I was reading that in that scene, he thought that they were their meeting. That's why he did it. He thought he had killed them. He thought he took care no, of them. Oh, I got them, you. Which mm-hmm. makes it, you know, for a kid's movie, that's pretty dark. You dark. Know? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. But you watch it, I was like, I was like, wow, he really blew up that, you know, which is crazy. He pulls up, well, he kind of crashes into the front yard of the house. Mm-hmm. He doesn't go in the house. He doesn't bother the mom. He doesn't bother, you know, anything's going to, he walks right around, around the house to the backyard with lit dynamite in his hand <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and chunks it with a perfect, you know, one, one shot into the treehouse, And of course it blows up. Where's the fire truck? Where's the mom coming out screaming? You know, you know I mean, yeah, that's, we, yeah. we just spend disbelief at this point, but of course, uh, yeah. But yeah. that scene, but what, you know, once again, it's like, it's a movie for a kid. You got to have something blow up. So you, just blow you, up the treehouse. <laughs> uh, and then they blow up. Uh, they killed Dell's partner, unfortunately. Yeah. Which up, so. I, that bothered me a lot. <laughs> same here. Same, yeah. Exactly. Same here. Uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely great scene. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he transforms into the bat, which again, I thought yes. was well done. I love the but shadow. Anytime, yeah. Making it yeah. in the shadow instead of actually seeing it, which I thought was really smart. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but like the the Wolfman, as I mentioned earlier, the transformation. Yeah, uh, that one was another one of my favorites. It's just you know he's on the phone trying to like warn Dell that hey mm-hmm. Dracula's gonna kill your son, mm-hmm. and he does it. And he's got like the the saliva just just coming out, and he's just like transforming and he can't control himself. And it's just it's really it's it's so well done. Stan Winston is on top of his game, but John Grease acted the mess out of it. And yeah. Oh, so yeah. again, another one of my favorite scenes just because of that. Um, and then of course, Rudy killing the, the vampire ladies. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with the cro- you know, with the bow and arrow. Yeah. The, the stakes. Yeah. That was great. So my, my, my ultimate all time, like my favorite, favorite scene, which is kind of cheesy, but I'm, I'm sticking with it. It's the montage. Mm-hmm. Every great 80s oh, movie needs a montage. Yeah. Gotta have a with, montage, and yeah. it's the and it's the bop to you drop montage, you know, yeah, music yeah. video. But it and there's nothing like that's all that great about it. It's just it kind of pulls the whole movie together, and yeah. you see, 
you know, Rudy's putting all the things together in shop class and the kids are <laughs> learning from Frankenstein and you see the camaraderie. So, yeah. uh, and then that's that last shot of them kind of walking into the sunset, all walking together. It's just like, yeah. oh, it's just, it just, it's, it's, the, it's that, it scratches that nostalgic itch for me, which yeah. is like, that's, you know, that's how you did movies when you made movies. You had a good montage <laughs> that just made you feel good before you go kill all the monsters. So, yeah, well, and it's it so really iconic. Dark. Yeah, so, so iconic now because like uh, people make fun in in like modern comedies and yeah. stuff. They'll kind of poke fun at the montage mm-hmm. kind of scene. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like montage. Let's do a montage. Yeah, you know, you're right, right. Uh, but I mean, like you think about it, and that was like a huge staple for this type of film. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and in this case, it it uh, it's got a great song. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Michael Sambello, who um, of course did Maniac. Yep, yep. Uh, so so pretty well known there. Now I actually have the score. I, I bought the score because I, I love. I used to teach a class on film score. Um, oh yeah. So so I love scoring. But it has that song on it. It also awesome. has Monster Squad rap at the end. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're the Monster Squad. You know, yeah. uh, it's, it's just it's good stuff. So there, it's on my playlist right now. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like on, on my phone. You know, whenever I I can just put my headphones in and just make a wreath or something. It's like mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm listening to that. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, there there's just so many good ones. I like um, when they're trying to get away from Dracula. You know, they're in his mansion. They've got the amulet. Dracula kind of gets him. And I like how Horace opens up his pizza and yes, you know, the garlic yes. and the pizza. He like slams it against Dracula's yeah, face. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just there's a lot of little touches like that that just kind of mm-hmm. really make the movie. You know, we could go scene by scene probably with this one and kind of. I'm sure we could. There's, there's something we love in every scene. So let's. Let's jump a little bit into some of the trivia and we'll start okay. wrapping things up. So sure, sure. Uh, one thing that we want to let people know, if you didn't know, this movie is not based on or nor is it a remake of Monster Squad from 1976. That was a short lived TV show that was about wax figures of three monsters that come to life to battle evil. So which is a cool concept. Yeah. Never <laughs> knew that show existed, but I'd know. heard about um, was that. Uh, <laughs> oh, gosh. Was that Hanna-Barbera? I don't know. Um, was it a cartoon? I thought I it was a cartoon. I don't think it was a cartoon. I think I might, maybe I'm actual... thinking of Drag Pack or something. Yeah, I think there was um, a cartoon that was similar to that idea, but this one I think was an actual, like regular, regular. TV oh, show. I got to. Yeah, yeah, I think I think I'm thinking of of the other one. Uh, but I mean, still, I, I I'd want to watch it. I mean, yeah, like like wax figurines of monsters that actually fight crime. <laughs> hey, that's, hey, that's neat. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see a few a few of these we've kind of already hit, so I'll I'll jump down to this. So, uh, according to Fred Drecker, which we also kind of mentioned this already as well, according to Decker, TriStar was adamant about delivering a movie under ninety minutes. So, thirteen minutes of footage was taken from the original cut. Many of the deleted scenes have since been restored on various TV airings of the film, and you can uh, there's actually a YouTube video that's clips from when it was shown on TNT with all the deleted or the deleted scenes that they put back on the uh, television version. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Which uh, I, I really like. So back in the day and still a little bit now, but especially mm-hmm. back then what they would do is um, they usually had different edits because mm-hmm. when you ran it in syndication, you had kind of different power to, to add or subtract different things based on you know, the length of time that you needed to right, fill. Right. And so there's a lot of versions, like, of course, there's that Superman version. I, I forgot what it's called. It's yeah. the really popular one where it's like two and a half or three hours long mm-hmm. almost. Mm-hmm. And it's got like all this cool deleted footage. Well, in this case, uh, yeah, they had those those scenes back in. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wish like we'd get that version. version of that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, because I watch the scenes and like some of them, and they're none of them are very long, and they're just kind of yeah little little a- a- additional scenes uh, or like extended more like extended scenes more than deleted. I think the only yeah, real deleted yeah. scene is so at the beginning of the movie, which we don't see, and and Decker was saying it was never actually filmed that they actually killed Dracula at the beginning. Yes, and so he comes back to life because there's a scene of the the guy that's carrying Dracula's body with the stake still in his heart. And one of the white women, vamp, vampress, vampires, the, the, the wives, I was just yeah. calling Dracula's bride, Dracula's yeah. brides. Yeah. yeah. Come and try to attack him. And of course he can't find a, a wooden stake and he pulls the stake out of Dracula's body and kills the woman. He's like, Oh good. I'm safe. And then you see Dracula's body, you know, sit up out of the, the cart in the back. And so that's supposed to lead up into why, Mm-hmm. they're trying to find him at the castle because they thought they'd killed him. And so, and he went into the explanation that that's how the thirties and forties Dracula movies always, they would always kill him at the end. And then in mm-hmm. the new movie, they would show how he came back to life. How he came back. Yeah. Yeah. So, but he mm-hmm. said, but we never actually filmed him being killed. So it didn't make any sense for them to see him dead and not know why he was killed. So right. they cut it, they cut it all together. So that's the only true deleted scene that is still in the TV edit that, right. that you could see. So, but like every, everything else was all just kind of bits and pieces, uh, which were still fun. Like one of my favorite uh, of the scenes is the two airplane pilots that are carrying the crates. Mm-hmm. There's a little extended segment of them kind of joking about the bodies in the back, which is really funny. So uh, I enjoyed <laughs> that one. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's always like a double-edged sword because you want to put them back in. You want to mm-hmm. see all this cool stuff. But then does it interfere with like the flow of the movie? Yeah, I mean, right, I think it right. really would. Uh, mm-hmm. And especially if you're used to seeing like a particular cut, um, like I love the Richard Donner cut of Superman yeah. too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at, at the same time, it's like, Oh, I kind of miss mm-hmm. Richard Lester's version. Uh, Cause that's what I grew up with, you know, uh, even though Richard Donner's cut is actually a much better movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's yeah. just, it, they you have, know, it's one yeah. of those. It's like, yeah. uh, it's hard. To, I can't, so I think I, while I'd love to have the extended version, mm-hmm. I, I also think it's probably better that it is the way it is. Yeah. But. I think there's a, there's a 30th anniversary Blu-ray, I think, and I should have wrote it down that has like 13 deleted scenes and mm-hmm. like a lot of, a lot of behind the scenes, extra stuff, which I wasn't able to get that. So I watched the, the scenes that, that I could find on YouTube. So, but I'll, I'll eventually I'm sure I'll get this on Blu-ray and I'll try to get that version. And then I'll be able yeah. to watch all those scenes. But, yeah, and yeah. I, I have that version. It's cool. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. I should have yeah, just, just asked to borrow yours. You just you, you could have. I, I would have yeah. sent it over, bud. <laughs> <laughs> I'll swing by your house. It's just a fourteen hour drive. It's no problem. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. We got it. <laughs> so uh so last little bit of trivia. Writer Shane Black and director Fred Decker hit it off so well while making the Monster Squad, they decided to work together again roughly one year after the movie <laughs> was released. They concocted a script called Shadow Company, where they, we heard that name before, mm, an see. action horror story about zombified Vietnam War vets who reanimate and annihilate the town they were buried in. The script drew serious interest from genre master John Carpenter, who was set to direct in 1989, with Walter Hill producing and Kurt Russell starring. I really want to see this movie now. I know. <laughs> that sounds amazing, right? But the movie was never made. And I'm like, <laughs> why not? So... Uh, but yeah, yeah, so that that would have been a good one. So I, <laughs> I want to say we talked about that during the Lethal Weapon episode. As I, well. We probably did. Yeah, yeah. Shadow, Shadow Company, of course, is something that Riggs mentions in yeah, Lethal Weapon. That, so mm-hmm. that they were in charge of that whole drug smuggling ring, right? 
Right. Yeah. So, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, good writers know how to work it, how to, you know, how to put it in where they can, where they can get it. So. Well, it's such a great name. You yeah. Know, oh, Shadow yeah, yeah. Company. I mean, it's, like, it's ominous, but uh, mysterious at the same time. And so it's like, oh, right. what is that? What's going See, on there? Yeah. So we've talked about it. So some, some TV executive at one of the streaming networks is going to listen to this podcast and be like, Hey, we're going to start a, a limited series on one of our streams. We're going to call it Shadow Company and they're going to make a whole different <laughs> type of story but they're just going to steal that name because we talked yep. about it so just you know where to find me just send the check just and, send, yeah, and, and, just and jerry <laughs> and i'll make sure jerry gets this cut but send the check there to we me go first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all, right, man. all right well let's hit box office and critical reception so the monster squad was released in the u.s on august 14th 1987 who it came in 12th at the box office being beat out by three other new releases that week, Disorderlies, the famous movie oh, with no. the fat boys. Yes. <laughs> beat this movie at the box office. How is that oh, possible? Oh my gosh, that's terrible. That's terrible. Yeah. No I Way mean, Out with Kevin Costner, which I can understand. That's a great movie. Yeah. Okay. And, and, then, and then Can't Buy Me Love, which opened in second place behind okay. Stakeout, which was number one that week. Okay. Yeah. 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 I'm a little upset that it got beat by the fat boys. Yeah. But that's a you know. terrible, I love it. It's another one that I, I grew up watching. It's, it's awesome. I love it. It's, and a, it's terrible a terrible movie, movie. <laughs> but, but, but it's like, Oh yeah. The fat boys disorderly. Right. But yeah. It's not a good movie. That, that, <laughs> that should have been the name of the podcast. It's, t- uh, I, it's, a, I love this movie, but it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, that's, <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. So, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, came in twelfth. It did not. It you know, it didn't last in theaters very long. But it had. And no. one thing Decker talked about because the interview was saying, you know, how did it, how did it feel when the movie started to gain traction and people started talking about it again? He said it, it's the weirdest feeling as a director because you put all this love into this movie, you want it to be successful. He said, and when it came out, it just went away. And he said, and you, you go about doing other things and you don't think yeah. about it again. He said, then thir- he said, then twenty years later. Uh, Somebody from Alam, uh, the Alamo Draft House, Draft House yeah. reached out to him about they're going to screen his movies. Like, oh, that'd be fun, you know, do that. He said he didn't know that they sold out. They sold out the first show the day they set, put the tickets out, so they had to they had to make a second show and sold out that one as well. And I said he was driving up because he was just going to be there to do like Q and A. He thought it was going to be like twenty five people. He saw mm-hmm. this line around the around the corner, like what are all these people in line for? Is they're there for your movie? He said the only way he can explain it is he said it's like shooting the game-winning three free throw shot at a basketball game and waiting 20 years to find out if it actually went through the hoop or not. <laughs> and I was like, you know, that's I, pretty I, wild. Yeah, I get it. It's mm-hmm. and, and that happens a lot with these cult films. Um, yeah, I'm glad that it had a lot of traction. I think they didn't really know how to market it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it seems yeah. like. Because yeah, it's it's got some scary elements, not mm-hmm. quite like Nightmare on Elm Street level, no. you know, scary or or Chucky or any of those that can really um, draw in that horror fan. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's also a little more scary for maybe some of the younger kids. So yeah. it's like it's like who is it really geared towards? Mm-hmm. And and I think if they had locked it down, they probably could have marketed it better and really geared it towards, you know, who they, you know, who the audience was for this film. Mm-hmm. Um, because yeah, that really bums me out that this sort of these beat it as well. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's yeah. such, it's such a better movie than it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think the fact that people know, remember it and mm-hmm. remember it fondly mm-hmm. uh, is a testament to the fact that it, it, really weathered time better than the disorderlies did so there's at least that i guess exactly but yeah going to the marketing the one thing they said was what hurt it was 
they were trying to market it like a Ghostbusters, which it really wasn't. It really wasn't at all. Yeah. And, and they, there was an advertisement they showed where I think the tagline was, you know who to call when you have ghosts, but who do you call when you have monsters? And so yeah. you call the Monster Squad. It's like, yeah, but that's not even the same. That's not even what it's about at all. Same, yeah. kind, of, same kind of movie. So, so yeah. yeah, I can see how the, the marketing didn't work. And once again, we, we all talked about this during Big Trouble in Little China. We're going to stop talking about movies that are so great, but bombed at the box office because they yeah. couldn't be marketed right. <laughs> but, yep. <laughs> yeah. You know what, though? I mean, there's. Uh, it turns out a lot of those are really, really fantastic. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't mind doing uh, doing box office <laughs> bombs as long as, as they're great movies. You exactly. Know? Exactly. <laughs> so critical reception, Rotten Tomatoes, currently it's 60% on the tomato meter with a 78% Oof. audience score. And IMDb has it 7 out of 10 with a 61 on Metacritic. So um, I can bad. see this not being a big you know, critical darling film. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, 78 audience score is a little low for me. I mean, it's not like AA plus it's definitely rewatchable, but it's, mm-hmm. it has its, you know, it still has its moments like that are kind of cringe. Yes. It has cringe moments and right. Right. And, and plot holes. This is that perfect Saturday afternoon or middle mm-hmm. of summer afternoon. I don't want to be out in the heat. I just want to sit down for a couple hours with, you know, some popcorn and, kool-aid or you know something cool to drink and a snack and just watch this movie it it has that matinee kind of vibe to it which is totally enjoyable in the middle of the day kind of a kind of a movie so if all movies had that ranking it'd be a plus so (laughs) yeah i i completely agree and this is one i think from now on i'm going to be watching like every every halloween for sure oh yeah every october is going to be in it um but i mean i caught myself uh watching it a couple of weeks ago i mean mm-hmm. and, and not just like i had put it on and then you were like hey yeah let's do monster squad and i was like yeah let's do monster squad i was i was just watching it. it's great <laughs> right right. I'll, I'll watch it again no problem yeah, yeah. That's exactly yeah, yeah exactly it's like that's how good it is i'll watch mm-hmm. it again yeah <laughs> in 2008 rob cohen who served as a producer on the original film said that the rights to the film were back with paramount and there were plans to remake the film however he had no desire to direct it in 2010, it was announced that Michael Bay's Platinum Dunes had officially signed on to produce the film, with Cohen now confirmed to direct and Mark and Brian Gunn writing the screenplay. The announcement of a remake and Platinum Dunes involvement was not met with much positive reaction <laughs> from no. fans of the original. <laughs> no. Nope. In, t- in 2014, Platinum Dunes producers Brad Fuller and Andrew Form confirmed that the remake was no longer happening. So good. Yeah. Uh, this is one. It, I, now leave it, it the way it is. You know what it needs? It needs a Cobra Kai style treatment. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. like a continuation. What happened? Where are they now? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe mm-hmm. uh, Horace has passed and, and now, you know, something happens and, and it's got to get the rest of the guys back together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and maybe they'll, I mean, right. it, I mean, I could just see this going really awesome oh, as yeah. like, as just a continuation. Mm-hmm. You know? Just no need to reboot it. No need to remake yeah. it. Just, just continue the story. Mm-hmm. Somehow Dracula survives or, yeah. uh, or a or whole some, new uh, new set of monsters. Yeah, or something. a different a different vortex gets open with other monsters, different monsters, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then it's their kids that are trying to convince them, and yep. it's like they've forgotten. It was they so crazy. On. Yeah, it's yeah. so crazy. They don't want to think about it anymore. They they've they, you know they're not willing to put their lives on the line like they did when they were kids. They're just yeah they, or you know, something. I'm you gonna know, protect the... you from you know just don't get involved. So yeah, I would watch that for sure. 
if yeah that's i mean can you imagine oh guys <laughs> guys hit us up we yeah, got the ideas yeah, exactly <laughs> make it happen yeah <laughs> so and we, we've, we've dated it. So if this, co- if we, if this pops up <laughs> on right. Netflix in six months, we're, we're taking it. It's court, our idea. So. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that would hold up in court, but yeah, uh, we'll try. We'll so. try. Yeah. <laughs> nah. Hey, uh, I'll, I'll settle for just having a bit part in the movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'd be cool. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. All right. Well, Jerry, I appreciate you being a part of this episode. It's always great to have you as a guest co-host. So tell us what's going on with totally rad Christmas podcast. Because you're gearing up for the most popular, your most popular season of all, the most wonderful time of the year. Well, well, first of all, let me say thanks for having me because I always, I always enjoy myself when I'm (laughs) when I'm on this podcast. It's just great. You're always great to talk to, so I always have a blast. Appreciate Um, it. But yeah, so um, you're right. This we're getting into like our busy season. uh, Not only at work because I work at a Christmas store, but also (laughs) for the pod. And uh, so I got a lot of cool things coming up. Uh, You're going to be coming up soon. We're going to be doing Cobra. So excited about uh, which, that. Which uh, a lot of people don't realize is, uh, you know, takes place this Christmas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I did a, a couple of episodes on, uh, let's see, Batman is coming up. For, it's actually Batman Returns, but you can't mm-hmm. talk that without talking Batman 89. Of course. So, of course, we talked that one. Um, we uh, Double Dare. I don't know if you remember the, yeah. the show. Oh, yeah. The, the game show for kids. Yeah. Yeah. So they actually had a Christmas episode. Wow. Uh, Top of the Pops. Uh, there's a whole 80s wrestling I talk about Hershey's Kisses and that iconic uh, Christmas commercial, you know, with the bells, of course, that's coming mm-hmm. up. Um, and then I, I just dropped a few like the Bengals and uh, Pizza Hut episode on yeah. that. Oh, yeah, so, I saw so, that was coming up. Yeah. So just, you know, a few random things here and there just to bring bring back the feels. And then, uh, yeah, we got some some other great stuff coming up as well. So this month we're doing a whole totally rad Halloween bit as well nice, so I'll, nice. I'll release a christmas episode plus a halloween episode uh, <laughs> each week uh and then in in thanksgiving or in november i got a couple of uh a couple of cool interviews lined up with some some folks uh, as well for some bonus episodes so yeah a lot of cool stuff that i'm just i'm excited about so i'm excited too yeah i, uh, I know you did an episode a couple a couple of months ago now on invasion usa with yes. Chuck norris so yeah. I actually i actually was watching that over the weekend uh actually watched it after i was watching monster squad i was like hey I feel like watching a, a good action flick now. So, uh, but yeah, totally. Yeah, barely, barely mentions Christmas there. Barely, but it counts it for there's me. Christmas, there's Christmas decorations <laughs> of the mall as they're going through in a, in a truck and destroying every part of it. Yep, but, uh, yep. but yeah, but great, great stuff. Always, it's, it's funny because uh, personally, I, I have like a very strict uh, uh, <laughs> kind of set of what constitutes, you know, like a Christmas movie right, exactly. or, or a Christmas show. But for my show... Uh, it's all know, fair it's, game it's all fair game if you know if i got it for christmas one year that counts yeah <laughs> i think he was whistling jingle bells in this one scene that's right yeah episode, let's do so. it let's cover it right exactly. so uh so i got uh rocky coming up as well oh nice so rocky nice. four of course famously takes place course, on christmas day of course but there's like one little scene in rocky and uh, as well, I got my brother coming on to do, uh, we're going to talk about Karate Kid. And of course, we're going to go into all parts and, and Cobra Kai. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's like you forget that the All-Valley Tournament takes place like December 19th or yeah, around there. Exactly. And yeah. and there's like a scene when, you know, they kind of reunite. He, he and uh, Ali make up at that uh, golf, what is it, golf and stuff? Yeah, golf uh, and stuff, yeah. And you can actually see like the candy canes uh, decorations <laughs> and some tinsel in the background. I was like, that's it. There it it's is. good. There it is. <laughs> that's Screen all I need. Shot but... it. That's the cover. There you go. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, 
yeah, it's it's exciting. I'm uh, I'm excited. It's gonna be good times. Good, good. All right, well, you guys go check out Totally Rad Christmas Podcast if you haven't already. It's always great to have Jerry on the show and go check out his show because it's it's a lot of fun just like this one. So, but that's all for this episode. So uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next time. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message through the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. Another way to reach us is through our social media pages. Search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating along with a stellar written review. And don't forget to follow us on Apple and Spotify as well. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Well, that's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s flick flashback. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.